Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Well, um, before we get into the message today, I just want to pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity, God, that you, you've laid before us, this uh, new season. God says summer kind of winds to a close. Uh, Lord, we, we want to come before you and not get lost in the activity of fall, but we want to actually give you our fall. Lord, we want to open up our lives to you, God. And so I pray that as we talk today out of your word, that you would lead us. Um, God, that your spirit would be just here, that you would help us, God, lead us into to be more like Christ in everything we do, God. And so I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, this gathering of people. And we, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this morning, as Taylor said, we're actually putting out a challenge to everybody who calls CTK Blaine home, and uh, even for those who don't yet. So if you're a visitor, you're part of the club. Um, But over the next two uh, weeks, we're going to do a series called More Than Sunday. And the idea is that we believe that the church can't really be the church just one day a week. We don't really think that the church is meant to just exist one day a week as an experience, but it's actually the living, breathing body of Christ. And that actually when, as we gather, that the the Holy Spirit gives life to every member of the church. And so we want to live that out as best we can in community. And so the main point that we're going to talk about today is this, is that we're called to step beyond an experience and into the vibrant family of God. That we're called to move beyond an experience and into the vibrant family of God. There are many of you here that have been with us as we've planted this church and and you've uh, invested your heart and your soul into it. And, And what we simply want to do is we want to all get on that page this morning. I was at a conference earlier this year uh, in Orlando um, where Francis Chan spoke. How many of you have heard of Francis Chan? Just to see well, f- a few people. Um, if you listen to Francis Chan, your heart just starts to melt. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but, um, but he gave this great illustration of what we're talking about. He, uh, he loves to surf. He's from Southern California. And um, he was visiting Waco, Texas, and somebody told him that they're surfing in Waco. He was like, what? And what they were talking about was there was this actual wave pool that you could go and rent boards and go surfing in for an hour. And he said he went, and it was great because the waves were really predictable. Like, they came at the same time. You know, sometimes if you go surfing out on the coast, you don't know which direction the waves are going in. You don't know if there will be waves. But this was good because it was very predictable. You know, it was this indoor wave pool. And, and uh, you know, so he sat there, and he rode the same, kind of the same wave every time. But his point was this, is like how many of our churches are like that? You know, how many of our churches are like that? We become predictable. We create a a same wave like every Sunday and it, it crescendos at the right time and it goes down and then we all go home and we come back next week and it's just this cycle of hanging out in a wave pool. And his point was this, is if we stay in the wave pool, then we miss out on the beauty of the untamed ocean. 
Like that's where the real surfing is. It's not just in the wave pool, but it's actually getting out into the ocean. And that's where the Spirit of God moves. Plus, if you never get out to the ocean, you never get that tan surfer look. Like, that's what I want, really, just the bleached hair. Um, but yeah, we believe that we're called as disciples to, to go beyond the wave pool and actually get into the ocean. And yes, Sunday is important. Like Sunday is still a catalyst for change. And we believe that God's called us to be here every Sunday. But we also believe that the church is supposed to be the church seven days a week and not just one. And so our goal over the next couple weeks and in this month really is to get 90% of our community involved in some type of, type of group where you can grow as a disciple. Uh, we want everybody to be connected into a group, but yeah, I think we'd be happy with 90%. Let's, let's be real. Um, so we've, we've intentionally chosen three opportunities to focus on. We believe that these are great building blocks um, in community and in discipleship. And instead of having everybody run around and find their own thing, um, we really wanted to focus it down to three things. We don't want to assume everybody's at the same place with Christ, but we do want to offer three things uh, that we can focus on and be together in. So we've intentionally chosen, as Taylor said, the Alpha Course, which is an eight-week course uh, where you study the Bible. Uh, well, you, you, uh, you kind of study the, the big things, like what does it mean to have faith, and uh, who is Jesus, why did he die, those things. Um, it's a video series, discussion group. It's a great place to start. Um, We're also uh, offering small groups, which are eight uh, groups of eight to 16 people that meet in homes, um, where you can also grow in your faith. Faith. And uh, we're also offering quads, which are more focused uh, discipleship, more in intensive study. And that's uh, groups of four people that meet weekly. Um, but we really want to try to offer everyone an on-ramp into the community, into the vibrant family of God. And I'm not saying that we have it figured out, that we're there, but we want everybody on the journey with us. Uh, because it's our desire that we could grow into a community um, that reflects God's heart for Blaine. And that's what we're about. So as we talk about this this morning, uh, we're going to look at what's probably the most classic text on Christian community, and it's found in Acts 2. Um, Acts 2 describes the birth of the church. It gives a picture of the church that we're talking about in its most pure and vibrant best. Um, and we, I think we have a ton to learn from what was going on back at the beginning of the church. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 2.37. And we're going to read that this morning. So it starts that Peter has preached this sermon um, telling people they need to uh, repent and believe in Jesus, and this is what happens. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe 
came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, here we have the birth of the church, and it kind of goes off like a cannon coming out of a cannonball. Like, boom, 3,000 disciples, right? Just boom. It's like if Peter showed up at the 4th of July here in Blaine, and everybody decided to follow Jesus. And now you were like, what do we do with these people? Um, you know, so you see it. You see it start with conviction. You know, Peter preaches this message about how the people just crucified Jesus and they have his blood on their hands, that their sin really put Jesus on the cross. And so out of that, they felt conviction, which means that this desperation broke out among the crowd and it says they were cut to the heart. And that idea cut to the heart, it's actually like a violent term. It means that they felt like a repetitive stabbing feeling, like they had to do something. They had to relieve that pain. And so they asked Peter, what can we do? And Peter tells them to repent and be baptized. And we talked a little bit about repentance last week. Uh, if you were here, repentance is simply agreeing with God that you've sinned and turning around, changing your mind, changing your heart back to God. And so they repent and they receive forgiveness, the forgiveness of God, and they're baptized, which means now they outwardly identify with Christ. And so the, here, here we are right now, 3,000 people are saved from death and hell, and they receive this new Christ, and they have no idea what a church looks like, right? They have no idea, like this is brand new. They have no, like, idea what to do. So what do they do? Verses 42 through 47 describes this transformation that happens through the Holy Spirit. They're transformed, but they don't just all go back to their homes. They decide, no, we actually feel like we're supposed to be the church. We're supposed to be together. And so they become this transformed community. And it's this expression of the church that we see in, in John 17, before Jesus goes to the cross, he prays this prayer to the Father. He asks that his followers may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. This is what Jesus prayed for. This church is what Jesus prayed for. It's actually the immediate fulfillment of Jesus's deepest prayer for his church, is that they would be one and they truly were one. So in Acts 2, we get a picture of the church as the vibrant family of God. Like there's life there. Um, they're together every day. They're listening, they're studying the apostles' teaching. And this is before the New Testament was written down, obviously, since we're reading this out of the New Testament. Um, but they're, they're, they're listening to the apostles' teaching and trying to find out as much as they can about Jesus. You know, now we can study the Bible anytime, anywhere. You can go to the gym, put headphones on, and, like, learn more about God. So we've, we've got them beat there um, with options, right? If we, um, but they broke bread together. They, they, not just taking communion, but also just sharing life at the table, like eating together. 
And, uh, they, and, and then comes this word fellowship, which is kind of a churchy word. I don't really like it. Like if I asked you, hey, would you be in fellowship with me? People would probably slam the door in my face. Like you are weird, dude. Um, but um, it, what it, it's this word koinonia in Greek, and it means uh, to have deep connection and conversation with someone. To have a deep connection, deep conversation, talking about God, talking about our lives, being real together. Like that's what this word fellowship means. And then we see that they prayed together. They're in constant prayer. You know, they're giving thanks to God. They're thanking him for his provision, thanking him for his strength, thanking him for healing. And the, they're praying for the kingdom to come. And really prayer is, is what the community needs to rely on. It's really God's power, right? Saying, God, you, you can do this work better than we can. Like, I know you put us here together, but this is actually your work. You actually, the spirit has to move. And so prayer is giving it back to the spirit, giving it back to God. And the results are, are really amazing. It says, and awe came upon every soul. Not just those who were in the community, but all around. The world was watching. Awe came upon every soul. And it literally meant that people felt the fear of God in their lives. They realized the presence of God was with them, and it was shaping their lives. Um, R.J. Utley said this about this moment in history. He said that God's presence and power caused a holy atmosphere. Even unsaved sinners were aware of the sacredness of the time and place. So as, as the world looks in at this community, it's, it's kind of pure and untouchable. Like there's just something beautiful about it. And so this was seen in incredible generosity. Um, people gave to everyone as they had need. And I found it hilarious because I'm studying Bible commentaries this week, and every commentary, um, a lot of them written in during the Cold War, had the same disclaimer, and it was this: "This is not communism." Okay, I thought it's like, okay, we're Americans, so we're, that's very comforting. Thank you. Uh, but that was the idea: "This is not communism," and it's true though because you know communism is a system that doesn't give you a choice. It's like, hey, you're sharing whether you like it or not. Uh, you don't choose to share. You have to share. And what this was is it's like this was a community of perfect neighbors. It's like this is walking into a community where all your neighbors love each other, care for each other. If there's a problem, they're there for you. Um, they're generous. They're not focused on themselves. That was, that's what this was. It was the, the kingdom principle that Jesus talked about where he talks about um, treating others better than you would yourself. Like we teach that to our kids, even if we're not Christians. But everybody saw each other's needs in the community and helped them. And what it says is that God's grace was on everybody. So forgiveness, grace, and understanding are just like pouring out of this community. And so this, this vibrant family, it has two effects on the world around them. First, it was extremely attractive. Like the world saw what was going on in this little group of people and they were like, man, that, that looks really good. Like whatever they're doing, I want to do. And because so, it says the community enjoyed the favor of all the people, meaning that like they all thought this was a really good thing that was going on. And the other thing, um, and the other thing was that God was adding people to this community daily. Like when the church just chooses to be the church and loves each other the way they're supposed to love each other, like there's not that big of a need for an argument. 
Like the fruit of the church shines the light of Christ stronger than any words can, can say. And, um, and that's what these people see, that the light was just pouring out of this community and it just drew people like mosquitoes on my back porch, you know? Um, that was a lame joke, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm working on that, guys. Um, of course, it didn't stay that, the church did not stay that pretty. Like if you read on in Acts, there's all these things that come up. They, the church grows up and it starts to have infighting. It starts to be selfish. It starts to deal with false teaching and prejudice. All these things start to, start to just kind of leak into the church. And so like if you read Paul and Peter, like they're all trying to address these issues as they come. But this is like the honeymoon phase, right? Where, where, where the church can do no wrong, right? This is like the honeymoon phase. But I think that there's one key word that this whole movement hung on. It's like there's, there's this one word that makes the whole thing work, and it's the word devoted. It's the word devoted. There's a phrase here that, that makes all the difference. It says, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They were devoted to what was going on. God moved because his people were devoted. And the, the word in the original Greek is this word that it's hard to pronounce, but it's a proskartario or something like that. And it means to attend to constantly. Like they were constantly fixated on, on Jesus and learning about him and understanding his ways. Um, when this word is used in the negative sense, it's like people who are attracted to idols and can't let go. It means to obstinately persist in. Like these were stubborn people. Like these guys were going to follow Jesus through thick and through thin. They weren't going to let go. They had to find out more. They were obstinate in their faith. They were just going for it. And the original, the original disciples, they were devoted to these four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And I think if you step back with this picture of this honeymoon of the church, I think what we need to ask ourselves is, what are we devoted to? Each of us have to answer that question. What are we really devoted to? What are the things in our life that we're constantly fussing over? What are the things in our life that we're constantly having to attend to? What are the things that occupy the most space in our heart and our soul? Because it's easy for the things of the world to sneak in and steal our devotion. It's easy for that to happen. I wanna share kind of a silly but real example. Um, one year when I w worked as a recruiter, my office got really into fantasy football. Anybody here play fantasy football? A few, I have to explain what it is, it's cool. But maybe a better way to phrase it, I got really into fantasy football. I got really into it. I really wanted to beat all my coworkers in this little game. And uh, if you've never played fantasy football, basically what it is, it's a really, it's, it's the nerdiest way possible to enjoy the game of football. It really is. Um, you select all these different players from different NFL teams. You put them on your own team with your own name and you go against pe uh, different people each week and you get points each week based on the way that your players perform. It is super, super nerdy. Um, but uh, I really wanted to win, so I devoted myself to learning everything I could about this game, fantasy football. I rigorously prepared for each draft party. I had like a stack of notes, like ready to go. Um, you know, I thought about it, even like when I was running, like I was like, man, what should, should I make that adjustment this week? I don't know. 
know, you know, like it was just on my mind. You know, I was, I was reading these articles online. I was just devouring this stuff, right? And so, in fact, I, you could rephrase Acts 2.42 for this period of my life this way. It would be like, and Tyler devoted himself to fantasy football articles, to talking about fantasy football constantly with coworkers, to making roster moves at lunch, and to following his team intensely all weekend. Like, if that was, like, the way I was living it out, that would be it. And I eventually had to stop because I was getting too into it. I was getting too, too into this game. And I know that there are plenty of people who can play it and it's not that big of a deal. And like, you, you're like, dude, you got a problem. And that's true. Um, but there were a couple years where I really struggled with that. And the sad part of it is, is I let this, this silly thing just kind of uh, occupy so much of my devotion that at times I put my devotion to God on the back burner. Honestly, like that, and that's what happens. It doesn't have to be fantasy football. You know what your thing is, right? Like we all have those things that kind of sneak in and steal our devotion from God. We have idols that sneak in and steal our devotion. And so this is the point I want to make, is that uh, we often settle for a minimal Christian experience and give our devotion to smaller things. Should be on the screen, but that's all. It's all good. I'll say it again. Yeah, there it is. Um, we often settle for a minimal Christian experience and give our devotion to smaller things. Um, there's a theologian named Paul Metzger, and he made a bold statement about the modern church. He said that much of the modern church is, is this, and it's a little wordy, but I'm going to read it. He said, much of the modern church is an association of isolated individuals whose true allegiance lies elsewhere namely the state, the market, and the nuclear family. He said, we're, we're so committed to our government or our way of life, we're so committed to our jobs, we're so committed to our families that we actually block out our devotion to Christ, is what he's saying. And of course, working hard glorifies God. Like God wants us to work hard. Caring for our families glorifies God. He wants us to care for our families. But in the life God calls us to, the first priority is to be devoted to Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Um, now, is it important to work hard at your career? Yes. Is it important to focus on the health and well-being of your family? Absolutely. We're called to do that. But we can also isolate our focus on those things and miss out on this great ocean of devotion. <laughs> I just made that up, seriously. Uh, that Jesus calls us to. Uh, wow. Um, but we can forget we're called to seek first the kingdom of God, that we're supposed to trust uh, that everything will be added to us. We're called to be devoted disciples, committed to caring for our relationship with God, caring for others, and, and reaching out to those who don't know him yet. And yet we settle, because we have all these things in our lives, we settle for the minimal experience. We settle for the wave pool and we really should be out on the ocean. And if we're ultimately devoted to the smaller things, then like our engagement with the church becomes like a fast food experience. Like no one wakes up in the morning like, you know what the best part of my day is going to be? Driving to Taco Bell. Like that is going to be the best part of my day. Maybe some of the high schoolers are like, yeah, that's me, man. And Scott, too. Um, thanks, Scott. Scott's on the couch. He's ready to get out of here, go to Taco Bell, I think. <laughs> 
Um, but it becomes, we love the convenience of fast food. We love the convenience of it. Like, I don't have lunch plans. I'm just going to zip in, get some food, get out, get on with my life. And it's tempting for churches on the flip side to accommodate that. Like, well, if that's what you want, like, that's what we can do. And so we, we can get into this phase where, you know, church is a fast food experience when, when really it should be so much more. And if we're going to be devoted disciples, then we should crave more than just that experience. It's important that we don't have a check-in, check-out relationship with God. Like a check-in with God on Sundays, I leave, I check in with him once during the week, I leave, and, and, and that's it. God wants us to pray ceasingly, like be in constant communication with him. You know, and if, if, we, if we lose our devotion, then we, get a, we, we miss out on this vibrant family of God that he calls us to. We might never experience the security of what it is to be a devoted disciple or the adventure of being a devoted disciple. And, and, and this beauty of the open sea that's unpredictable, but it's where the life is. We can miss out on the beauty of watching God move in our lives and move through our community if we lose our devotion. So what can we learn from this newborn church? Uh, the first thing is on the screen, but it's disciples devote themselves to growing in the truth and life of Christ together. That disciples devote themselves to growing in the truth and life of Christ together. That we grow up in the truth. You know, here we have these young believers who are just motivated and disciplined to study the truth of God and to live life all out with Jesus. I want to just walk through these things, these four things that the disciples were devoted to again. First, it was the apostles' teaching. And really, guys, this word is stronger than teaching. It's actually talking about sound doctrine. And doctrine is a, sounds like a formal, churchy word that you might find on a website somewhere. You're like, I just, I don't know about that. But it's actually really important because knowing what you believe, like, do you really know and understand what you believe about God? Because that's vitally important. Like if, if someone asked you to explain the God that you believe in, could you? Could you explain it? You know, um, do we know his character? Do we, do we kind of get why the Trinity exists? I mean, there are big questions that we need to wrestle with as believers. Are we studying his word? I mentioned before that I went to London at the age of 20 on this summer-long mission trip, and it was an experience that changed my life. It was one that where I felt, where I actually told God, like, God, um, I don't know what you want to do, but you can have all of my life and just make it what you want to make of it. And uh, one of the reasons why it was so life-changing is because I had conversations um, with people from other religions. A lot of uh, Muslim people, I had a lot of conversations with Muslim people, and what was shocking to me was how devoted they were to their religion. They pray five times a day. Their life like revolved around the mosque. It made my devotion look small. And I thought, man, if I believe that I have the truth about God, like if I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, shouldn't I be diving into that? Shouldn't I, shouldn't I be fussing about that, finding out more about him? And, uh, and so I would have conversations with people that, where they would know more than I would, or they'd ask me questions about my faith, and I wouldn't know how to answer. And one night, um, I just felt broken. 
uh, we were staying at this little Baptist church and the kind of like a whole like kind of old uh, you know kind of wood floors and and we were just staying in this church and I stayed up past every, everyone else had gone to bed and I was just sitting in this sanctuary of this church just kind of broken like God I, I don't I don't know what I believe and so I picked up the book of John and I just started reading the book of John, but I read it differently than I ever had before. I didn't read it trying to find inspiration or you know, what verse really like sticks out to me today. I was reading it just asking the question, Jesus, who are you for real? Like, who are you for real? Like, I really want to know who you are. And the great thing, um, so the question that this brings up is that are we really devoted to learning the truth about Jesus? Are we really devoted? Because when we learn that truth, that's, we find security in our faith. Like when people ask us questions, we, we can respond because we spent our time diving in. And the great thing about being a part of a group is that you're going to be challenged to study the word of God, to study the truth about God, to wrestle with the big questions so that you're not relying on what you think you know, but you're relying on, man, I've actually studied this for myself. I've actually looked into this for myself and, and I can say this with confidence. Like that's what, that's what we want everybody to get at is this point where they can, they can speak the truth of God with confidence. We see also that the disciples were um, not just devoted to studying the word and the apostles' teaching, but they were devoted to the fellowship and breaking bread together. So they were devoted to each other too. And, and what do we see here is this, is that disciples take as much interest in others' lives as they do their own. Disciples take as much interest in the lives of others as they do their own. Disciples care for each other. They spend time together. They check in on each other. They have real conversations with each other about God. You know, if you look at all the things that the Bible asks us to do as a community, like it's actually really challenging. Um, things like confess your sins to one another, uh, rebuke each other if you get off track, like help correct people, um, pray for each other's healing, forgive each other. Those aren't light things, right? Like those are deeply personal things. Um, and, and that's what God asks us to do. If we are gonna grow together, it means getting a little more personal with people and being willing to share in the body of Christ. And that's not realistic for everyone here to be deeply personal with everyone else, right? So that's why we need groups. That's why we need smaller groups of people that we have these types of relationships with. Not that we would be deeply personal with everybody around us, but that we would be deeply personal with people who we're walking with. And I mentioned this quote last week, but I love this quote, and this is kind of like a key part of this, this challenge. This quote's from a pastor named Bob Hyatt, and he said this. He said, community is not made, it's found. Or sorry, community is made, not found. That's why we have that on the screen. <laughs> You're like, all right, I'm out of here, bye. Um, but yeah, community is made, it's not found. Uh, we, we can't just like hop in and find community like a fast food restaurant. We actually have to make it. We have to make it ourselves. And it's true for us as a church. Like, the best that we can do is offer opportunities for this to happen, but the choice on whether or not it happens is up to you. Like, will you invest yourself into a community where you grow in Christ? Are you willing to devote yourself to get to know other people? And here's the thing about small groups. I know that they can be a little awkward at first. 
Like I know that when you come into a small group, you quickly realize everything you have in common with people and everything you don't, <laughs> you know? It's like, you don't have, it's, yeah, you don't have everything in common. It's in, but if you live enough life with people, if you share enough life with people, then people start to become like family. If you, if you walk far enough with people, even if you don't have everything in common, people start to feel like family. And the last thing that the disciples devoted themselves is to prayer both individually and corporately. They devoted themselves to prayer. There's a lot of power in praying together. It's the lifeblood of our community. It keeps us on point, keeps us focused on God and not you know, rabbit trailing in a bunch of different directions. It's the power of prayer. And I noticed something as I was reading the Lord's Prayer recently. Um, the words we, our, and us show up a lot in that prayer. <laughs> We pray our Father who are in heaven. We pray give us today our daily bread. We pray lead us not into temptation. And we pray forgive us as we've forgiven our debtors. So when we pray, we're not just supposed to pray for us. We're supposed to pray for the church. Not just our own health, but for the health of the church. Lord, help us all to forgive. Lord, help us all to have provision for bread. Help us all to, um, uh, help us all to, um, praise you, you know. Um, I'm, I'm lost here. Sorry. Um, but we, we're praying for people and, and entrusting our community to God. If everybody prays like that, it's going to be pretty amazing. So as the worship team comes up, I just want to wrap it up this way. I want to invite you to journey together with us. I'm not saying man, we've got this figured out, we've got it dialed in, we know what we're doing. We kind of don't know what we're doing. Um, but I want to invite you to find a place in the vibrant family of God. Community is made, it's not found. And I'm not saying we're there, but I'm saying that's what we're after. That's the hill we want to take. We want to be the vibrant family of God, shining a light right here in our community. We want everybody to have a place where they can grow in Christ wherever they're at right now. Because what we don't want to do is just create a wave pool where people come and they hang out for an hour and they leave and that's it. Because that's not what God called us to. God called us for so much more. Uh, he called us to this vast ocean to go into it together. And that happens when we devote ourselves to run after Christ and run after each other harder than we ever have before. So we're called to step beyond an experience and into the vibrant family of God. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, the picture that we have in Acts 2 is sometimes mind-blowing. Like, how could a church look like this? Like, how could a group of people look like this church that just was all out for you? And today. And God, I don't know. I don't know, God. We, Lord, we entrust what you're doing here back to you. Lord, would you lead our hearts? God, would you lead people to care for each other? Not because they have to, but because they want to. Would you lead people to care for each other? Not because they have to, but because they want to. So God, we, we, we entrust our community to you. Lord, we entrust the decisions that people make to you. Lord, we entrust our lives to you as your disciples. 
And God, I pray that as we wrestle with this, Lord, whatever our thoughts are from today, whatever we're, we're, we're processing, trying to figure out, that you would help us to wrestle with that. God, that you would help us to, to uh, really find out what you want from us, God. That you would really help us to find out what you're calling us personally to do. How you want us to step into this into the vibrant family of God. Lord, if, we, if we're crying out for it, if there's a need for it, God, that's from you. Lord, there's very few people who want to go all in, God. It's painful to give things up. But God, I pray that you would reveal our next step to us, whatever that is, Lord. Lord, you are patient. Lord, you are loving. Lord, your loving kindness endures forever. Um, you don't look at us in judgment. You don't look at us uh, with angry eyes, but with soft eyes, God. You look at your people with soft eyes. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to see you. Like we sang before, that we just see the beauty of who you are, the beauty of a life lived with you, God, and you would just put a desire in us to chase that, God. So Lord, we lift this all up to you. We thank you in Jesus' name.